So as we take a look at the scriptures here in Exodus chapter 35, you're going to ask why is the, the, the jet lag must have gotten to the pastor or something. But no, uh, most of these chapters are actually a recap of what we in depth studied already. So I'm not going to painfully take you through all of that same recap. You can always go back and listen to the studies on those chapters of, that talked about all the, the different elements of the tabernacle. So we're going to just summarize this as we go through in some cases, and we're going to highlight a few other things for you to take notes for those who do take notes. <clears throat> but notice this. It's only by the grace of God that Moses achieved the purposes that God had sent him out to do as a leader of, of God's people. God promised to go with the people, and he did. God showed Moses a glimpse of his glory that it got, Moses asked for, and he saw his back, or the afterglow of the passing past him, in the cleft of the rock. He saw that God gave the, forgave the sins of the nations. And he interceded uh, for the people of, of Israel. And God forgave them as they come through this time of their life. And now Moses could return to now as he comes back after another 40 days up on the mountaintop experience with God's presence. And again, he had to haul up those two tablets this time that he had to cut out. God didn't cut out the tablets second time. He said, no, you're going to cut them out. And you're going to haul these babies up here to see me. And I'm going to take my finger and I'll rewrite exactly what I wrote on the first time. The ones that you remember. Let me remind you, Moses, that you broke. Which he was not supposed to do that. But he did it out of anger. So from that, we see that Moses now can return back down the mountain, back down to the camp with the second tablets of the law and tell the people of God that their sins have been forgiven and that God is going to stay with them for the remaining of that journey into the promised land. And we know we've read ahead in the scriptures as how that's played out. But they now can rest in God's forgiveness and rest in God's presence in their life. Once you know you have been forgiven, once you know without a doubt based on the scriptures, not based how you feel, but based on the scriptures, you have been forgiven, you can now rest in the finished work of God's uh, work on the cross for your sins and mine. And once you accept that forgiveness, once you realize you are forgiven, once you realize your sins have been completely wiped out, as white as, doesn't that sound good right now in the heat of a 105 index, you know what I'm saying? Just for today, Just for today. amen. <laughs> please, none of you tell, talk to me about fall or Christmas, so yeah, okay, please, we'll stay with the presence of the heat, I love it, I love the summer right now. <laughs> but once you realize you've been forgiven, you have rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you don't have to worry. You're at rest. There's a peace that has filled your life. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ is now living inside you completely set free. Now you have that rest, but then when you have that rest, you have to understand that God is present in your life. He's come in and sealed you for eternity. He'll never leave you or forsake you 
regardless of what the enemy tries to tell you or the world tells you or your feelings tell you. Or at times, maybe your actions where you've fallen short condemn you. But God didn't come to condemn the world, did he? What did he do? He came to save you and save me. And that's what he's done. Now, are you, do you have that rest today? Do you have that peace that is beyond your own understanding at this moment? If not, then you need to surrender your life today. Today's the day of, of, of salvation for you. You can be forgiven of all your sins. Just, just have to turn away from your sins and choose to follow God the rest of, the, rest of your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So you put your faith in him and him alone. That is what it is. Do you have that? So here we go, and we're talking about, whoo, we're, we're just right there. We're, ready. we're getting started here in verse, uh, chapter 35. But here we go. Let's, let's start here. It says, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So God means business here. When, when Moses comes back down, he clearly communicates with no question to the people there of the congregation that they are to what? They, these are the words from God. These are not words from Moses, not from other li- religious leaders or any other. Th- these are the words of God telling you people, and I'm just the communicator here. I'm just the, the messenger that God has raised up as a leader to teach you and to sh- t- say that the Lord has commanded you to do what? And the very first thing is to do what? Not to build and work, but to rest. He says, you're going to work six, but you're going to rest, and you must keep the Sabbath, no questions of mine. And remember, last week we learned that even he gave, told Moses to tell the people, even during what? There were two times he was warning them. Time of planting and the time of harvesting, even the most busiest of times in your life, you are not to forsake the Sabbath day to show, uh, be obedient to the holy day of God set apart for him. So that was a reminder. It doesn't matter how busy you are. We're still to to worship our God daily. We are to spend time in his presence. We're to talk to him about all things. We are to find rest in him. That is daily for us as believers. And if you don't, he says right there that Moses made it very clear that God said, whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. That, now, some people will say that is incredibly harsh. But he's serious. This is strict obedience. There was, this was not negotiable for him. His relationship with his people and his, people, his relationship with him is non-negotiable. It's, he wants a close relationship. And at that time, that's how they had the close relationship because he dwelt, will be dwelling within the tabernacle and they were to come and worship him that day. Now, Christ lives within us today, so we have rest with him and we can find that rest and spend time with him 24-7. Not just one particular day, 
We don't worship just one day, one particular day over another day. We worship him every day. Amen? Now, you have to understand that, and it's still kind of confusing for many people today. So he wants the people here, he's making very clear the principle that is holds that's very true in our walk with God. Anything we do for the Lord must grow out of our rest in him. That is when the work is going to be then fruitful in what we're doing for him. But we first have to start with his rest, his finished work on our behalf. So many people will want to work for God. i got to do something for God because you're trying to earn his love. You already have his love if you're a child of God. He's already saved you. But I must not do these anymore. You're right. As God leads you, he's going to give you the, if this against his, his character, against who he is. Yes, you're not supposed to touch those things. And he'll give you the power to be able to, to, to walk away from those things. It'll no longer be a practice in your life. But he doesn't just take get rid of something, but he's going to add what is good and right to your life so you practice those things instead. But this strict call to obedience was clearly made for the first thing as he, Moses comes off the mountaintop. Before they did any start building this tabernacle that he has instructions to give to them to build, before they do any work, they were to sit there and to make sure they observe the Sabbath and make sure that they are right in their heart and their attitude and mind to do the work that God's called them to do, which is to build the tabernacle, which was very, very, very important. And that's why you have to remember basic obedience. Basic obedience is the prerequisite of doing the work for the Lord. And you know, there's a, it's just a simple, subtle thing that you probably have noticed in your life as a Christian. Whenever I don't take the time, whenever I don't take advantage of the opportunity in my time of the day or my, for that week whatever that period of time you're thinking of right now. I don't take the opportunity to literally come into the Lord's presence and to seek him as we worshiped him in song. We seek him. Who are you seeking every day? Do you seek him? And you, you move, miss out on those opportunities. Oh, I should have spent some time with the Lord this morning. Man, it would have helped me start the day. Oh, I wish I would have spent some time talking about the Lord about this before I went into that meeting. Oh, I wish I spent some time before I sat down and had that conversation with my child. I, whatever those moments are where you know without a shadow of a doubt you should have spent some time with the Lord before you made that decision. That you understood how important it was to find that rest in his presence so that you're refreshed and renewed each and every day. Because if you don't take those opportunities to find rest in him and his presence and just you and him spending time, what happens is you start sensing this. Something in me starts dying. There's something in me that just doesn't seem right. Something's not settled. Something seems to... And all of a sudden, all these things of doubt and fear and, and, and questions and stuff starts creeping into your mind. And once it gets into your mind, it will start settling into your heart in some way. And it comes out in your actions and your words. So 
God's pattern here is the same yesterday, then, or today. We must find time and opportunities to find and just sit in his presence and rest so that he can then renew us and refresh us so that we're not dying spiritually in a way that causes unsettledness in our life. Whatever that feeling it is for you. But then we see here in verse 4, verses 4 through 9, we're going to see this this, the offerings of the tabernacle because he said, we're going to rest. Now it's time to build. Now we need the materials to build this tabernacle that I'm going to lay out in front of you here. And verses 4 through 9 is talking about collecting the materials needed to build this. And watch this. This is amazing. And Moses spoke to all the congregations of the children of Israel saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord Whoever is of a willing heart, underline that, willing heart, let him bring it, to, bring it as an offering to the Lord, underline that piece right there. And what were they to bring? Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Breast, breast so these, these verses right here highlight to you and I um, that they were to take and bring in the offering or bring in the materials, the needs to meet for the congregation as a whole. And they're about to build a tabernacle. And so he's saying, God says, these are the materials that God has already provided for you, to you in your life. Remember Egypt when you were leaving and you plundered all the Egyptians and they just flooded you with all the gold and the silver and all the threads and all the fine linens and stuff. And you were like, why are they giving us all this? And it was so I just had to go to my neighbor and collect all this. Well, now it comes clear one year later. It's been a year since they left Egypt. Don't forget the timing here. It's been one year and now God's revealing to them why they were carrying all of this stuff that they had through the desert day by day for a year. And now God says, now all these resources that you have that I've given you and blessed you. Now, if your willing heart, notice that in verse 5, whoever of a willing heart, not a grunging heart, not a manipulated heart, not a scheming heart, no one's scheming, no manipulating. God says, if you have a willing heart, you are then to what? Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Don't bring it to Moses. Don't bring it to the elders. Don't bring it to the religious leaders. Don't bring it to anybody else. You're bringing it and offering it to the Lord for the Lord's work at his house. And the house is what we call not the church at that time, but called the tabernacle. So what happened? He lined out all of the elements that we know because we've already studied the, all the elements of the tabernacle already. All of these things that were just read, are, were, all the things are going to be used to make, into, uh, to make the tabernacle and all the elements within it. But this offering came from God's command. 
Not some clever Moses trickery to say, I've got my little red thermometer and watch the thermometer and are you contributing to get the thermometer to go up to make sure we hit our goals today? Let me put a little sign up here and notice how many people gave and the average giver and who was the top five givers. Be the top five. Come on. We'll give you a star. None of the manipulation whatsoever. We're not passing the basket three times in one service. Moses clearly just communicated what the Lord commanded to do with no fundraising techniques and clevers. And this shows that God normally uses and channels resources for his work through his people. That's how it's done. He gives and gifts and gives to his people, and then he's done a work in their hearts, and then the willing hearts of his people give back to the things of the Lord to do God's work. And that includes taking care of the building that they're going to come worship at. You already know this today. It's not for somebody's lifestyle. This is literally to take care of the, us, to come back together, to, to sit there and to gather at God's presence at the tabernacle, and the people are coming there to gather together to worship the Lord. They had to build it. They had to take care of it. They had to, whatever it may be. In this case, they're going to build it from scratch with the materials that God has given them. And so what happens here? Well, the very first thing here, verses 10 through 19, talks about the articles of the tabernacle. You want to go to the details? Read chapters 25 through 31 for all the details. But we're looking here that the how, and I'll highlight to you verse 10, all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So we've learned earlier on, and an emphasis again here as we study this scripture here, is that God has not only provided the resources to the people, his people, to give back to the Lord for his work that he needs to have done, but he also takes his people and gives them the talents and the gifts and the, the wisdom and the, the, uh, the abilities, the knowledge and all of the skills to do the work. So not only does he provide you the resources, but he also equips you with the ability and knowledge and wisdom to be able to do the work. So many times we emphasize the spiritual gifts, but we understand that the Holy Spirit actually works in on someone's life to equip you to do it. How many times have you said, as God was leading you to do something for him, well, I can't do that. I'm not very good at that. I don't have any knowledge of that. And God took care of that in my life really early on in my, in my walk in the ministry, when I was in the ministry in California, and the pastor said, the Lord is showing me that you're going to build a, a 12,000 square feet concrete tilt-up church from scratch. I didn't even own a power drill at that point in time. I didn't, it was like, I, I think I had a hammer and a, and a screwdriver, and you're telling me I'm going to build this? I don't, I don't build. I negotiate, but I don't build. I'm in healthcare. I don't build in construction. And God says, exactly. Because you're going to have to completely rely upon me to be able to do this work. You cannot rely upon anything you've already done in the past. 
And by the miracle of God, it was built. And it's still standing today, praise the Lord. And then he turned around and said, we're going to build on another, I think it was another 5,000 square feet on top of that. And we built that. <laughs> it's like amazing to me. And then we built this. This was completely gutted in a, a, a nasty, dirty place. And God miraculously turned this around. It wasn't me. It was God working through you. The people who were here, this is their place. He provided the resources through you. He provided the talents and the gifts and the abilities and brought the people necessary to do the work. And when we move to the new place, guess what's going to happen? He's going to use you to do the resources and the talents and gifts and abilities to be able to build that out for, that for the Lord, for us to be able to gather together to worship him, to serve him, and to do what God's called us to do. Nothing new, right? This is what they're doing right here in front of us. But he uses and he became, they take these people of the, of the people there and gifted them to do the incredible detailed work of doing what needed to be done to build. That's amazing. That's why I know that God is going, whatever he has for us, he's going to equip you or bring someone in your life to help you to do it with the giftedness of skills and abilities that God has given you to be able to do that work. Be it the resources, plenty of full of resources, or the talents and abilities to, to do something with those resources. Then we hit verses 20 through 29, and it talks about the tabernacle offerings that are presented here. And he continues here in verse 20, And all the congregations of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Verse 21, Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meaning for all its service and for the holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought the earrings and nose rings and all the gold. Whatever <laughs> it was made of gold and silver and all these things, they just kept giving it. They were wearing it one day, the next day, Lord, you need this. Oh, you're, one day, ladies are going, look at my ear. This is beautiful. Oh, I, I can remember the day when I got that thing. And now it's like, no, it means nothing to me. It means more to God. I need to give it for God, for God's work. Amazing. The willing heart, the ability to, to decide that this is in, the most important of, of all things here. That Moses, after asking them to do what God's commanded them to do, is to have a willing heart to do, to give the resources, and then to do the work. Notice this. In verse 20, they all departed away from the presence of Moses. And that's wonderful because there was no manipulation or forcing or pressure to give. All he's doing is presenting the need. We have a need to the people. And then he knows that God's going to work in the hearts of the people and whoever has a willing heart, whoever has been, the heart's being, and notice the, the very difference here in verse 21, whose heart was stirred up and everyone whose spirit was willing. Notice the two different, that difference there in that scripture. Very important you highlight this because sometimes the, willing, the heart is willing but the Flesh is weak. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're not willing to do what God is stirring your heart up to do. You're getting stirred up to do it, but your spirit says, I'm not willing to, to be obedient. 
Notice that. Because that applies today in our, in our lives as well. God will stir you up. Uh, I don't think so. I don't have time. <laughs> I got other priorities. My routine. It takes a lot of faith there. I need it all played out first before I'm willing to do that. Give the money or spend the time or the energy or build something. Nah, I'm just going to. Can't do it. Why would God use me to do that? I don't even have a hammer. See, God is working in people's lives to do the work, the good work that he has given for you to do. And that it's going to be in a way that you are going to be stretched by faith to do it. It will not be easy. But he's looking for willing hearts, a surrendered hearts, obedient hearts to do what he's asking and stirring your hearts up to do. Not complex. This is not hard. This is not some deep spiritual theology. This is just simplicity of how the Lord works in our hearts. It's like 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's the, it's the requisite. Can you cheerfully give? Can you cheerfully do? Can you cheerfully come alongside and, and, and be obedient to what God's called you? Or you say, okay, God, I know you're telling me to do this, but I'm going to grudgingly do it because I have to do it. Because nobody else is going to do it. Who else is going to do it? I'm the only one that's going to do it. God's like, no. That's not how I want you to do it. I want you to cheerfully do it because, because of your love for me. I love you so much, I've set you free from slavery of your sins. You, you can't just cheerfully do this for me? Can't you just surrender your life for me to just do this small little thing compared to what? And then you turn around as you cheerfully give or cheerfully do and obedient, be obedient. I'm going to reward you with crowns and when you get to heaven? I mean, you know, Really? You're going to give me attitude when I'm asking you to do in the ministry? No. See, if our love needs to be deeper, because if we have those constraints, we need to go deeper in our love relationship with him. You need to spend more time in his resting presence. He'd rather have you in his resting presence than trying to do work for him with a grunging heart. Do you know that? Keep your money. Keep your time. Because he doesn't need it. He needs you. He wants you. Do you know that? That's his priority. That's his, his purpose is for you just to worship him. And out of that worshiped heart, giving obedient heart, you can't wait to cheerfully do something for the Lord. You're, Lord, show me something else to do. I want to do something more. Not to earn your love because I already am resting in your love. Not to get praise from man. I don't need praise from man. I just need you. And so he's teaching the people here 
and the congregation, and he's gifting these people, and he's bringing these people around. Moses didn't have any contest to, to put one tribe against another tribe to see who's going to raise them more money or bring them more gold and more silver. They didn't have competitions to see how many more people will come to the tabernacle this week compared to the next week, and we're going to get your, you know, none of those manipulative kind of things that happens in, in many churches today. That's not of God. That is man's way of trying to stimulate and manipulate the people. God do, does the work in and through your willing hearts. And we've seen it many times here. <clears throat> did they have a willing heart? Their heart was stirred up. Did they have their spirit? Was, is it willing to, to, to do and to bring forth what God's offering would be to, to, for the work of God here for the tabernacle? And it wasn't just men, it wasn't just women, it was men and women in verse uh, 22 that brought the things that God, it was an individual touching of the heart that God was working in those people. What a beautiful sight. What a beautiful thing here. In verse 29 there, it says, The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord, all the men and the women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. I mean, the hearts were being stirred up. The spirit it was willing in the will of God to do the work. And it didn't matter how busy they were. But the seasons did not matter. It did not matter about the weather. It didn't matter how busy they were out there. It did, none of those things became more priority than to worship God and to give to the work of God. Then we see in verse 30, the artisans called by God to do the work here. And it's interesting, and I love this, because he actually plays out here uh, very specific things I think is really kind of fun to see here. In verse 30 through 35, it says, And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge in all manner of workmanship. Now imagine, here it is. Again, this, this scripture pops right back out at me. Saying, Lord, why would you use me to build a church? I've never built a building in my life, let alone hammer, in California. And this is the, some of the scripture that he reminded me, he brought me back to, is because I'm going to call you to do it and then I'm going to give you all the knowledge and ability and giftings and everything that's needed to actually do and lead to do this and this is where we see the right here God appoints a leader Bezalel to lead the people and all the attention all the workers to accomplish the work of building all the elements for the tabernacle I don't think it was on his list was it pick me pick me yeah, you know, you know <laughs> that's not how it works. God goes and taps you on the shoulder and says, Yes, you, yes, you're going, no way, no way. Perfect. Now the question is, is now is your heart willing? Is your spirit willing? Even as inconvenient, was it part of your five year plane? But are you willing to, to be obedient to, to God who, crea who created you and saved you from your sins? So it's interesting. It gives you all the wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all the manner of workmanship here. 
And he has, in verse 30, uh, 34, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Ahalilib, uh, uh, the son of uh, Hishamach of the tribe of Dan. So he's got another guy now coming alongside him, Ahilabib, to come alongside him, and be, they're going to be filled with the God's spirit of being able to do, and the skill sets to, in the manner to be able to do everything, including the engraving and the designing and the tapestry and, the, and leading all of these people to do God's work. It's amazing. Lots of people moving through, doing what God has called to do. Verse 36, or chapter 36, verse 1, you see the two guys right there, gifted artisans, in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Now notice here in chapter 36, something really, really cool happens. It says right here that the people are going to do something, they're not going to be restrained. But matter of fact, Moses will have to restrain them of, of all the generosity here. Verse 2 of thir chapter 36, And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every gifted artesian in whose heart of the, of the Lord had put wisdom, and everyone whose heart was steered to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freely offerings every morning. They, it was a form of, remember, giving is a form of worship. Don't forget that. You give it to the Lord, it's a form of worship. That's why we give. And notice here, they're coming every morning. There are people who just kept coming every morning, giving as the Lord was touching their hearts and their hearts were willing and the spirit was willing and they showed up giving to the, the materials needed for the work of, of the building the sanctuary. It says, And all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it and and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed, too much. That would be wonderful. You know, no church would have to take a loan. If just the people were willing to just give to the working of the of a willing heart and give to the what God has already blessed you with and the ability to to, to, to he, he would orchestrate that we wouldn't have to take a loan at all. We don't we don't take loans. But I mean in general, lots of people take loans in the churches just to be able to keep going because they need to have, they don't not enough funds coming in. That's not our problem. You guys are generous hearts. You guys have blessed us beyond for the church to be able to continue to keep the lights on and the and the whatever functions of what's going on that we we invest in the radio station on and on and building a buying a church with cash. All these I mean these things. That's because God has touched your hearts and you continue to be faithful in your giving. But here we see that the people were so touched by the movement of God that they kept bringing and had to come. The workers had to say, Moses, can you tell the people to stop bringing it because we don't know what to do with it? It's just heaping, piling up here. 
Tell him to hold on to it. We don't need to go overboard on this. Just hold. So I love this because Moses so, could be so tempted at this point, couldn't he, as a leader? Well, great. We met all of our needs, so all this extra must be from the Lord. must be for, for me. You know, <laughs> it could be for something else. You know, we, could, we, we already met all of our needs, but maybe we should build bigger places. Because we have all this money we don't know what to do with. Let's just be bigger and make it more extravagant. and more. See, that's the temptation, wouldn't it? But here we see a godly man saying, woo, woo, and the godly men who are actually doing the work saying, we have enough. We've met our need. We're doing exactly, we're building exactly what the Lord shows us. We're not going to make it something better than what God said is hit our best, which is what he told us to do. I think it applies to our lives individually for sure. If God has blessed you financially, that doesn't mean you sit there and go, all of our needs are met, and I don't know what to do. I haven't had, I've had a new car the last, every year I trade my cars in. I got more money. I, do I tra trade it in more every six months now? We get in this, these things like, well, I got more money, so what do I need to do with it in my own life? No, 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 no. That's not the reason why God's blessing you. It's because he'll be just like one of the people here. I have a purpose for what I have given and blessed you with for my kingdom, for my purpose for, to build what I need to build for the, God's people. This is not just for you. I give it to you to meet all your needs, but the extra is for God's work in how he wants it to be done. So if he's blessing you, praise the Lord. But ask him and seek him and say, Lord, what do you want to do with the extra that you've given us? It's not, I assure you, it's not anywhere in the scripture. Show me if you can. But I assure you, you can't. And the fact that that doesn't mean you get to retire 10 years earlier. That's not why he's blessed you. So you can retire 10 years earlier. Or buy more houses or camps. Not to say you can't. You have the freedom to doing all that stuff. I'm just saying seek the Lord first because you notice it clearly here that God has blessed these people with the resources to turn around for God's purposes. And for those who are not, their needs are not being met. And they, God might use you to help them meet their, some of their needs at points in time. But how, what a blessing that these people were so giving and so freely giving and there was no manipulation, there was no tricks to get them to do this. There was no, there's an, there was no special little star you were given and some special position within the church if you gave more money and because you were a bigger donor than other. None of those tricks, none of those manipulations are taking place. They were just willing hearts, always willing to give enough as God blesses the work and moves along. There was no, there was no restraint to, to tell them they had to. They were to be able to freely to give as God said you need to give he didn't say you didn't have a choice but he says but if you choose not to do it just know it has to be because you're cheerful and if there's a willing and a spirit moving to do it because we don't want you to not do it with the right heart now here in chapter 36 verse 8 and all the way through the probably the rest of the chapters here this whole long section really brings out um, of things I'm just going to go through very quickly for you all. And it's all about the different elements of the tabernacle. And just follow along here as you scan through the, your, the scriptures here. And you're going to find here that the, the building, they're actually going to build the tabernacle here. And there's two, two thoughts here when you watch the scriptures. He's 
going to lay it all out what they have to build. Bezalel is the leader. He's going to be the foreman. He's the one that's overseeing the project here. And Ahelelib, whatever how you say his name, Lib is how I said it all weekend, no? Lib and, and uh, Bezalel. And these two are going to be foremen. They're going to oversee the work. And the first phase they're going to do is the people are going to bring the things they did. Overwhelming amount of things. All the resources. And then once they take all of these resources, they're going to start building on these resources. And they're going to continue to work on this. And they're going to build each of the elements exactly the way God told Moses that it was to be built. And they're going to bring each of those elements in front of Moses as a leader to look at and inspect and make sure they actually did exactly what God said to be. So Moses couldn't sit there and say, now you go pick out the paint color, the threads, the colors, and all these things, and, and what the material will be. And then he didn't turn around and walk away after someone appointing someone else to do it. He still was held responsible if that's the right color of thread. If that was the right way they built that lampstand, and right, right that that the the uh, the the altar and the and the laver and el- had to be built to the very specific ex- uh, specifications that were outlined, he was still responsible to do that. So you'll see that, and then once all those elements are in front of him, we're going to see at the very end they then put it together, and Moses involved putting it together and actually placing it. He actually goes in and places the elements in the proper places within the holy place and the most holy, the, the ark, and the, in the outer court, and he plays that out. So as we go through this, just keep that in mind as we summarize as we look at this. So Exodus 36, uh, Exodus 36, Exodus 36 verse 8, 8 through 13, talks about the building all the curtains that are going to be artistically designed with the cherubims on it, according to what we saw in chapter 26, verses 1 through 6. And these curtains are what's going to make that inner court uh, or, or a sanctuary or the most holy place and the holy place, that intersection, that 150 by 75 uh, uh, size uh, uh, Structure in the middle. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be, and the showbread, and the lampstands, and the and the uh, incense. All that is right there in that section. That's what they're talking about: is building all of those specially, highly designed uh, curtains. Verses 14 through 18 of chapter 36 talks about the curtains of the goat's hair and the commanding them to do that. And we see that in chapter 26, verses 7 through 13. And remember. They'll be putting these um, walls up for the, creating the, 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 that, that structure there in the middle. And then the goat's hair and the different layers of the goat's hair and, the, and, and uh, uh, dyed red uh, badger skins that cover it will also be talked about. And that's in verse 19 of 36 here. The, the curtains of the ram skin, dyed red badger skins. And we see that that will go over those walls. That walls were talked about here in chapter 36, verses 20 through 34, talks about the intricates of those boards, the connecting bars for the frames, and the walls of the tabernacle that was according to the description back in chapter 26, verses 15 through 30. So right here, he's just lining out. It says, build this, 
then bring it to me. Build this and bring it to me. Build this and bring it to me. And these are the elements, and this is the size, and this is how many you need, and this is what the size is, and this is what it's made of. All the details. He's laying it out here. Then he goes into verse, and, uh, verses 35 through 38 uh, of uh, 30, chapter 36. He talks about the veil with its four pillars and the screen with its five pillars. Then it was, again, according to chapter 26, at the end of the chapter 26 there, as you go into that uh, holy place and the holy, holy place, there's different screens or curtains or veils, as you know. Remember, when Jesus died on the cross, what happened? The veil was what? Ripped from top to bottom. This is the veil in the description of that veil that was, is covering or separating between the most holy place and the holy place uh, in that area, in that, uh, the tabernacle. Then we get to verse 30, chapter 37. We talk about the furniture that's going in the actual tabernacle itself. And we notice here in verse uh, 1 through 5 here, he talks, it tells Bezalel to, to make the ark um, out of acacia wood. And you see the description in verse 1, two and a half cubits with, with its length and a cubit and a half of its width and a cubit and a half its height. And we see that that's all he, the, the person who actually built this. And at the end of verses 30, or I should say uh, verses 6 through 9, he talks about the mercy seat and how that was going to be built. And it will be completely encased in gold. And that will be sitting on top of the ark in as part of the key furniture because that's where the presence of God is going to be resting between as we see in verse 9 of 37 the cherubim spread out their wings above and cover the mercy seat with their wings and they faced one another and the faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat and between those wings between those two cherubim's gold structures that's where the Shekinah glory that's where God's presence would be resting uh, uh, on a daily basis there in the, in the tabernacle. Now, 37 verses 10 through 29 talks about the furniture of the holy place. And if you remember, there were certain elements. Verses 10 through 16 is the sh uh, table of showbread and all, with all its utensils. The showbread is where the priest would come in and put the 12 loaves of bread, the, each loaf representing each what? Tribe. And that would be on the right-hand side as you walked in, which would be the north side of the temple. And then you would see the golden lampstand. That is, again, if you look at it, it's a, a, it's a, a picture, a show of, of, the, of, of, of the future of the New Testament, that would be the churches, right? The lampstand would be on the left-hand side. That would be literally lit every morning and every night as they kept a glow there, representing a continuous Prayer to the Lord. That's what the lampstand is, is. And then you saw verses 25 through 28, the altar of incense. Again, very important here as you look at that, because that is right there just before the veil going into the holy holy. That is where they had the burning of incense, which is a sweet smelling aroma of praises to God. And then of course, verse 29, it talks about the special anointing oil and incense that they actually had to create. And no one else could have that. You couldn't have that fragrance, ladies. I'm much, much as you loved it and you think it's good, it smells great, it, came, it would smell on the priest when he came out of there, you couldn't have that fragrance. It was only for uh, the burning of, uh, for the Lord. 
Then we get to chapter 38. We get to chapter 38 and we talks about the altar of the burnt offering. So this is the altar outside the Lavriere, who's it's outside of the of the tabernacle. It's in the outer courts. And we see that uh, the altar is, is verses one through seven and it's being built according to the uh, description back in Exodus chapter 27 verses one through eight. That's where the the the. The offering that they brought into the outer court, that's where they bring it to the priest. The priest would then go up and they would do the burnt offerings because the burnt offerings, the blood had to be shed for the covering of the sin of the, of the people. Then we see in verse 8, the bronze lavier, which is the, where they, the uh, round, uh, full of, pound out uh, uh, brass, and that brass was very unique because we know in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17, 17 through 21, that in making of that, the women brought their mirrors, these very highly polished brass is how they got a mirror in those days, and that lined the whole base. So when you came, you stared into a mirror to reflect of the washing of your hands and the feet that must be done prior to them to going into the tabernacle. But there, the, the original command was to build this container of water for ceremonial washing. But that these, these mirrors were very special because they were given by these women. Now, it's interesting. It's a lot of people miss some of the details as you go through it. But let me tie you back here to New Testament perspective. Uh, one may say that believers experience the washing of the water of the word. There's the connection to the lavier during in the Old Testament time. We see that in Ephesians 5.26. And that the word of God is like a mirror, just like the lavier is like a mirror that you stare into. It reflects of what you're, what you're having to deal with, right? We see that in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Now notice here um, that... There was a serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting uh, to help and assist uh, to uh, the priests. Uh, and we see that in verse 8 of chapter 38. It's their mirrors that were brought to be building that lavier uh, and to be part of the of, uh, serving. Then we see there in verses 9 through 20 of chapter 38, the court with its pillars and fine fencing that was built around to make sure that it, uh, uh, it enclosed the entire uh, complex that God had designed. Now the inventory that I talked about is the end of chapter 38, verses 21 through 23, talks about the inventory of the tabernacle, the, uh, the test of testimony which was, the, was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar and the son of Aaron the priest. So here's a guy who is the head of the Levites, who is the son of Aaron, who was going to take account for everything. It's like, I, I kind of read that and I said, it's like a new commander walking in, right? Have you ever been in the military and you take, or you're a new boss and you have to come in and you have to take inventory with everything was there and it had to be in your name because now you're responsible for all those elements. Ithamar was going to sign off and be responsible for all the elements of this tabernacle, which was not, not a light responsibilities, right? 
This is, in today's day, is worth probably $13 million worth of stuff being built here, if you want to build it in today's uh, economy. But when we take a look at this, that they, that they were looking at this, this, this priest, Ithamar, overseeing the Levites who were going to be responsible for all these resources. And, and this is a huge job that would need to be taking place because now moving forward, once they build this, the tabernacle's built, all the things that needed to be taking place and every day at the, at the tabernacle was going to have to be right on time and according to God's way, and you're not to deviate. I don't feel like going to the tabernacle today. You didn't have that choice. <laughs> That's their job. They were to show up and be faithful and do those things. And they're going to be accounted for by the commandment of Moses that God says this is what they're going to do. So imagine you're coming in and you're saying, Ithamar, guess what? You're going to be responsible for about $13 million worth of stuff you know no big deal about 19,000 pounds or nine nine tons of materials no big deal this is just a light work today for the Lord and you're gonna sit there and go okay this is good if I don't God knows all things if you can imagine I waste any of that material or lost something like the lampstand or you know or, or something allows something to get broke it would have been a bad day for that man for sure but uh but the fact that all of those materials, nine tons of gold and silver and everything, was provided to them when they left Egypt and they carried those nine tons, shared among all the different families to be able to carry it to the point where it needed to be used. So not one, not just two families, not just ten families of the congregation bared all that weight. Are you with me? Why should one or 10 or 15 families bear all the weight of, 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 for the rest of the congregation to worship? Is that how it works? God says, you're going to have your share as the Lord puts on your heart and the willing hearts and the spirit is willing. Everyone gets to participate. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some of the people that were there were very wealthy because they're the ones that were going to bring the very expensive stones, the onyx stones and the, and the gems. They were to bring those. The poor didn't have those. They weren't expected to give those. Why? Because God didn't give you those stones as, a, as part, maybe a poor person within the congregation. But he gave someone else that ability to manage that and hold on to those special gems, to bring those gems in to build the breastplate and to build the, uh, the, the ephod, the special ephods on top. Do you, are you with me? So when someone says, I don't have a lot of money and I don't have a lot of talent, and I don't have a little, but God has given you something, even if it's a little, and that is just as important as someone who has been given a lot because now they're responsible for much more to give. Are you with me? So sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't have much to give. You have something because God, has, as a child of God, has given you something to do. It may not be money. <laughs> it's probably you have a skill set that no one else has. And that's critical for us to accomplish the task that we have to have. Are you with me? And you may not have money and you may not have talent, but you have been given a brain that is beyond your own knowledge and understanding and abilities, and you know people who know people who have resources. <laughs> Whatever it may be, you have the brains to actually do the planning. 
See, God has you here for a reason. You might be the little toe. You might be the big toe. You might be a neck. I don't know what part of the body you are, but just know you're part of the body. Are you with me? And that's when you read this through and you see how God works in the people, his people, you cannot deny what is going on here of how God uses everybody. But the key is everyone has an opportunity, but they have to have a willing heart and a spirit that is willing. That's your part. Did you know that? That's why you and I will be held responsible for what we have done with what God has given you to do. Are you with me? And so as we see here and we continue to move on here, in verse 38, again in verse 24, we see the inventory of the gold, the 29 talents. Uh, you're talking about, you know, somewhere around 70 pounds. Um, uh, there's about 2,030 pounds of gold used in the tabernacle. That's incredible. Verses 25 through 28 of 38 is the inventory of the silver that they had to take account for. That was probably it's the high amount of silver, which is incredible because of, of the census for the nation of Israel was paid in silver. And so there was a lot of silver that was given as well. And then, of course, verses 29 through 31 was the inventory of the bronze. And then we get to chapter 39. We start off in the very beginning as the making of the priestly garments. We got the ephod, verses 1 through 7, the breastplate of the high priest in 8 through 21, the robe of the high priest, 22 through 26, the tunics, the turbans, the sashes, the trousers for all the priests, that's 27 through 29, and the turban of the high priest, 30 through uh, 31. And then we get to verses 32 through 34. Uh, through 41, I should say, of, of 39. And we see that now Moses looks over all the work that uh, has been presented to him right in front of him in regards to everything they have done. And he, Moses then inspects their work. And Moses, as a leader, command, was commanded by God to lead this, this work, to command and let the people know and give them the instructions that he took time over 40 days twice to, to make sure everything was written down clearly what they were supposed to tell the people and he was to make sure that they followed the pattern of what God had given them to the T because if they did it partially it would be what disobedience partial obedience is disobedience so they had to follow it to a T as God commanded and so Moses are looking over this. God wanted the tabernacle built according to exactly what he said he would need to do. And he had to supervise it right down to the detail to make sure. And no wonder Moses blessed the people when he inspected them and saw that they had done what? Exactly to the T of what God said they needed to be built like. No wonder Moses asked God to bless the people because they did what they were to do. And that's why he said in verse uh, 39, verse 43, Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded, just as they had done it, and Moses blessed them. And then we get to chapter 40. Yes, we made it to chapter 40. Look at this. This is incredible, right? 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meaning, and you shall put it in the ark of the tes testimony and the partition of the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps, and you shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the covenant and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt uh, offering before the door of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and you shall set the lavier be between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put it Put water in it, and you shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil, and anointing the tabernacle, and all that is. Here they are um, having a, a dedication of this the, of the new church, right? The new tabernacle, right? Here's the dedication. I can't wait. When we get this all new place for us, we're going to have a dedication. We're going to have, this is dedicated for the Lord, right? We're going to have the same thing because we want God to just come in and fill that place with his people and just move in a mighty way that will just change hearts of people and change this community, right? So here he is coming to do this. And you shall take the anointing oil, anointing the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall hollow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. And you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all the utensils. And he goes on and on here all the way through to the very, very end. And it says here in verse 32, And whenever they went into the tabernacle meeting, and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses, what? Finished the work. Finished the work. He was to, that, that was God had commanded him to do. And they were to finish the work. Amazing. Time has passed by. God has been doing a work in this man's life over the last year. He's been doing a work in the people's lives over the last year. They've had ups and downs and uncertainties of life for the last year. But one thing we had learned through the book of Exodus is what? God is faithful. And God is going to do what he says he's going to do. To write down to the details. Even when they've messed up, God has shows his grace and his mercy in the lives of his people. And so we see here, he's going through, he's fulfilling exactly what he's doing. He's arranging all the little details. Everything's in order. He's looking at this place and he's going, perfect. Everything is in order. Everything's in place. Everything's built according to what God says to do. We haven't overbuilt it. We haven't underbuilt it. We haven't gone shaggy on the, the details. We haven't done, we, you know, eh, that's a lot of work. We don't want to do that. Well, no, God said to cover it with, with gold. So, yes, it has to be done. Right? So all these little details, everything down. And he's, as a leader, made responsible to make sure everything is in order so that it can be saved. The, the work is finished. And Moses can claim Yes, it is finished because God is revealing he did everything he was told to do. 
And then we see at the very end, verses 34 through 38, and this is where we'll close. And then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Can you imagine? You did all this work you're leading. You're doing everything. You're taking all the bumps and bruises and all the punches and everything else that comes along with ministry, and you just can't wait to have this done, and you've done everything you're supposed to do because the Lord has told you to do, and you've gone through all the challenges and all the criticisms and everything else, and you get there, and it's done, it's finished, and now here comes the Lord, and he comes in that form of the cloud, it comes down, and he rests on there, and then he doesn't get to go in it anymore. Why? Because he wasn't the high priest. Because only the high priest could go in and actually do the work on a daily basis. And only once a year did he get to go into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant, uh, or Ark of the Testimony, both both the same term, same same name, uh, or na same name for the same item. Two different names for the same thing. Hello. <clears throat> what happened? Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So we see here at the very end here, um, God was very pleased with the obedience of Israel doing what he asked them to do. He was very pleased. And he showed up. He's going to be in their midst as they continue their journey to the promised land, right? And so this is not, uh, they didn't, um, what was I going to, there was a thought here that uh, he didn't show up because they earned it. He showed up because they, out of their obedience, they showed their love for him. They did it because God, yes, asked them to do it, but they were still their willing hearts to do it. They still had to make a decision, regardless of how they feel, to show up and to give and to do the work, the hard work that was done. Sometimes we don't even know how hard this work is, but can you imagine smacking on gold and make the intricate details of the lampstand alone? This was hard, hard work over hot, hot flames for a very, very long time to get this stuff to get into perfectly one piece of gold and covering everything. This wasn't easy work. It was giving out of a lot of gold and silver to make it done. And they were willing to give more if that's what is needed. But it wasn't needed. We don't earn our rescue of, from God. God doesn't love us more when we obey. But as we walk in God's light, as we walk in the spirit and truth, God blesses his people. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, you've heard me say this many times because it's my favorite verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path.
paths, and paths plural. So he's going to take you through these different paths of life, but as long as you stop leaning on your own understanding, just trust him, and just be obedient to what he's showing you to continue to live and how to live, you will be blessed. But Moses was not able to go in same thing happened to Solomon. If you remember when he completed and dedicated the temple, the glory of the Lord filled the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 9, or 10 and 11. But he couldn't go in once the Lord came, went in and filled the temple. But almost a year since they left Egypt. But think about this as a recap. And I know I'm a little bit over, no surprise, right? God delivered his people. God guided his people. He brought him through brought the people through unbelievable moments at the Red Sea of the parting of the sea, the enemies attacking him, you name it, but he brought him through the wilderness to Mount, to Mount Sinai. The tabernacle was the very heart of the people. It was the center of what the people were to put their tents around and then God was supposed to be the center of that town or that encampment that God created. Not only geographically but spiritually God was supposed to be center of their life. You don't sit there and go I'm going to go over here geographically and find a house over here but spiritually not think that's just as important to have that settled as well. You must be a place where God leads you, then God has spiritually and physically needs to make sure he is present where, you want, where he wants you to be and just be obedient to that. But this encampment was just the end here of this book was just perfect because the sovereign God of heaven has taken his people out of slavery. He's delivered them in his power. He made a covenant with them, which was the Sabbath, don't forget, and he established them in a theocracy, a nation under God's power and control and deliverance here on this earth. And that's all played out here in this book of Exodus. And he says, God says, I will be present among his people. I will provide for my people. I will preserve my people. I will protect my people. And God was with the nation all the way through and guided him right into the promised land. So what's the final message of Exodus? God wants to deliver you from the slavery of your sin. He wants to deliver you from the slavery that's caused by your sin. And he wants to take you and he wants to come into your life in his rightful place. And allow him to provide, to deliver and provide and protect you as a child of God. Right into our promised land, which is what? Heaven. But do you have a willing heart and a spirit that is willing to let him be in control? That's the question I leave with you today.